It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself, the world with its own needs. Something to your own head, beat it up, and I've seen got no seats. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, the system of the gang, the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury's beating down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. That's right, in the dark heart of the city, and guess what city it is? Salt Lake City in the great state of Utah. Hey friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a mishmash of masterful morality in a mendacious world. I'm Joe Alden, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand videos, podcasts, posts, whatever, on medical preparedness for any disaster. And you are? And Bloom! Oh, I forgot that part. <laughs> <laughs> so we only we only got to the hour of doom. Oh my gosh. Yes. So that was This is the other half. <laughs> and blue I was waiting you were you were just talking and talking. I was waiting patiently. And you were awesome. And who are you, Miss uh, Awesome? <laughs> I am Nurse Amy. I am Amy Alton and I am a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. And you are also part of the Gang of Two. You are part of the courageous couple, the masters of disasters, the geezer and the goddess. And we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Well, I'll tell you, this has been a momentous occasion for us, spending a few days showing our medical kits and our other wares at the world-famous SHOT Show in Las Vegas, Nevada. And then, after that... Traveling the back roads of northern Arizona. <laughs> I'm not sure I would consider Utah. 15, Highway 15, the back roads. The back roads. <laughs> I'd say it's a main road, dude. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. Okay. There's we not did a lot go of on other. some side roads. Though. We did indeed. We sure did. All the way up to the Great Salt Lake. And that's where we are right now. We're heading out. Back to the wonderful sunny land of Florida. Ugh, hot. Yep. Hot. Humid. I know. We, Although I'll tell I t- you, we really enjoy it up here. We do. Well, we like it cold. The perfect combination is a little bit of humidity, though. This just gets so dry. That's but I'm true. asking for a little too much to have it humid and cold. <laughs> it's not, not a terribly common yeah. combination well, in the winter. 
It just dries your nose out so much. It really does. It and does what's do with that. the allergies? I even heard people when we were just eating dinner talking about them sneezing all the time because of dust. Here it is winter. That's true. Not a lot of pollen, but a lot of dust. What's up with the dust? A lot of dust. Well, in any case, we're just happy to be able to see this great, big, beautiful country of ours. It is gorgeous. Oh, I'm going to miss the mountains. Oh, yeah. And it had that blizzard come through, or I call it a blizzard. (laughs) I'm not sure if other people will call it a blizzard. It did snow a lot last Monday, but the mountains are just covered in this beautiful snow. Blanket of white snow. They look fake. Yes, they do. A little you bit. paint, and I tell you, some of these mountains look like somebody just enlarged your paintings and dropped them on the side of the highway. Oh, faking well, us I, out! I would take that as a compliment. Oh, Thank you, you so much. You paint beautiful mountains, oh, and that's okay. what they looked like. Well, that's wonderful. But this is a yes. medical show. We're going to be talking about medical things, and so therefore, friends well, and neighbors. Yes. Have you been injured in an accident mm-hmm. with a lascivious lounge lizard in Las Vegas? Oh, that's true. <laughs> that's right. Well, our attorney says, get out of Vegas, you, and don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, when modern medicine's a thing of the past, you may just not last very long. (laughs) You might end up off the grid as the highest medical asset left to your family in times of trouble. don't move around in that chair too much. Why is that? (laughs) If people get a noise... It was. It was not a. An, you heard a whoopee cushion. It was noise. not a digestive <laughs> noise. My husband moved in his chair. I oh, promise you. That's true. <laughs> Just because I'm old doesn't mean that I don't have control. That's right. You do important functions. So far, knock on wood, you do. <laughs> that's right. And by the way, if you guys hear an air conditioner, it's because even though it's, I don't know, thirty something, forty something degrees outside, when you make it a hundred degrees in a hotel room. I have to put the air conditioning on. Oh, my goodness. We walked into this room, and it was like a sweat sauna. (laughs) That's true. So I have to put the air conditioning on when it's freezing outside just to get the air down in this room to mid-60s or 60 degrees so we can sleep. Yeah, that's true. We do seem to sleep better when it's cold. I hate sleeping. I know. If I could open these windows up, I would. (laughs) Let's <laughs> pipe some of that cold air in here. <laughs> Sounds great. Or you, we could sleep out in the car if you want. <laughs> well, that would that would do. I, would, have, I, have, that would I do? have done that. Wait, wait. You know what that would do? That would frost our cookies. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> pretty much everything else as well. Now, listen, you guys out there. You got to show the world you got more sense than the good Lord gave a pack rat. Or, in Vegas, the Rat Pack. The Rat Pack. (laughs) You got to get some training. You got to learn something. You got to do what has to be done. And while you're at it, how about getting some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that stuff? I can't think of a better place to get it, especially after seeing what the options are at the SHOT Show than 
Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated but never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you deal with medical issues you'll face in any disaster. They'll make your home, your workplace, your school, your church safer. And they're designed by an honest-to-gosh medical doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for content, quality, cost, gosh, with just about anybody else's stuff, and you'll see that our kits are what you should have in your medical storage. But don't take our word for it. Check out our testimonial page at store.doomandbloom.net. See what folks just like you have to say about our medical kits and service. On top of all that, our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings account. Just look at our special HSA FSA section at store.doomandbloom.net. You know, I just want to mention something I thought was very interesting from the SHOT Show that I learned. Walking around and seeing you know, not what I consider competition, but just who else out there is selling medical kits. You know, I'm I'm probably one of the last remaining true mom and pop shops in this country. You are. For medical kits. We are indeed. North but- American Rescue was just purchased by some huge conglomerate. I think they do, what, $125 billion, billion or something in business? <laughs> yes. So the yes, place that do. I buy my, my real, not fake... Cat tourniquets from um, has just been gobbled up by a monster. Holy moly. It's true. So if you want something special in your kit, something that you don't quite see on my website, you actually can contact the owner of the company because I will make a custom kit for you. I'll take something out. I'll put extra in. We can change a bag up. Make it just the kit that you'd like to have. I, it's funny. I just want to mention a couple of people that I spoke to at the SHOT Show. Um, besides seeing Jim Cobb, we have to get a shout-out to Jim oh, yeah. Cobb. yeah, shout-out to Jim. Thank yes, you that was so cool much for him. hanging out with us. Yes. It was really nice to see you, and we really enjoy talking to people on the same page. And also, of course, writers. Yes. <laughs> Boy, is he a writer. He is writing up a storm these days. Um, but, you know, we, we talked to a few people who mentioned again because i'm open to making kits according to what people want but i talked to somebody who was uh, involved in a lot of marine members had a lot a group so we're talking about doing uh, waterproof boat kits awesome. and i talked to folks that do um, a lot of camping and canoeing who also wanted some smaller kits which would be better for canoes right versus the bigger Yacht type, sure, group. of course, yeah. And um, another interesting thing um, that I kind of heard before, but not really, you know, done a lot of research about, was a canine kit. But before someone came by, and actually two people came by with their service dogs and wanted canine kits, we had someone who was a hunter who requested a bird dog kit. Uh-huh. Talk about getting specific here. All right. <laughs> Well, that's one that needs to be a little bit uh, water resistant, I would <laughs> yes. think, because yes. you get your retriever going into the water to retrieve that and duck. And he wanted it small enough to put on the dog. So, you know, some some neat things that I get to, I, I really enjoy putting kits together. So, folks, if you're listening and you think, oh, well, you know, I just don't see the perfect kit, you can always talk to me. If you have ideas... Tell me what kind of issues that you're interested in taking care of. Let's say you've got you've got a little list. You want to take care of 
burns, scrapes, um, uh, little lacerations, maybe, you know, steri-strip type, uh, maybe um, finger issues like a, a tiny little Sam splint, and maybe sprained ankles. You know, I can do it. You want to add 10 other things that you're worried about? We can make a bigger bag. So don't be afraid to contact us if you don't see what you're looking for because this mom and pop shop is a going to be a very rare, rare situation more and more as Amazon and these bigger companies are gobbling folks up. I won't let few. them eat me, though. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to be the last holdout. <laughs> well, you are talking about our listeners contacting you. Yes. Well, how indeed do they do such a thing? Well, you know what? That well, was a good segue. That's good right. job. Email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, DR Bones Nurse Amy. Actually, it's and Nurse Amy. Of course, our Facebook page has everything all of our videos our articles, our podcasts, and that is Doom and Bloom on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel at DR Bones Nurse Amy. That's right. And on top of that, one last shameless plug. I promise you our new book, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Diseases, The Layman's Guide to Available Antibacterials in Austere Settings. That is a detailed look, I'll tell you, into the fish and bird antibiotics that I've written about for so very long. And, of course, the infections that they're helpful to cure or prevent. It's a new book, brand new, 300 pages or so. Not quite as extensive as our other book, which is about 700 pages, the Survival Medicine Handbook. That covers a lot of different topics all over the place, but this is specific for bacterial infections, and, of course, the use of antibiotics in austere settings. I can confidently say you have not read a book like this from actual medical professionals. does not exist. That's right. You will not hear this stuff from medical professors, I can tell you that much. If you want to be prepared for disasters, you will not regret having our book in your survival library. We'll talk about common infectious diseases, epidemic diseases, disease-causing bugs, how antibiotics work, how to use them wisely, and so much, much more. Remember, our books are meant for situations where there isn't a modern functioning medical system. If there is, get to a certified medical professional ASAP. Well, I want to talk a little bit about that fortunate family or group that has a physician or other formally trained medical professional among its members. But, you know, the truth of the matter is those folks are few and far between. When there's no doctor, somebody in your group has to be assigned the responsibilities of being the group medic. That person's going to make the difference between success and failure for a community that has lost access to the miracle of modern medicine. Now, if you're going to be the survival medic, you got to know you've been handed a major challenge. There are going to be some tough decisions ahead. And if you can step up and take responsibility for the well-being of your loved ones, well, you're going to be truly a special individual worth your weight in gold. Now, if you've been chosen to pick up the flag, well, your first assignment is to get some training. Some of it's going to be book learning. Some is going to be hands-on. But the bottom line is the more you know, 
the more comfortable you're going to be in your new role. You got to start by studying basic first aid, having a good book on family medicine in your library. A good approach would be to learn as much anatomy and physiology as possible. Anatomy is the blueprint of the body. Physiology is the operating manual. With a working knowledge of these two subjects, you know what? You're going to be in a better position to understand disease and injury, and that's essential for you to become a successful medic for a group in times of trouble. Now, at the same time, you got to research alternative disciplines, like things like uh, herbalism. If you truly believe that an event may occur that knocks you off the grid long term, well, you know that whatever pharmaceuticals that you've got, even the ones that I recommend and talk about, eventually you're going to expend them. And when the commercial medicines run out, you'll need a base of knowledge about plants in the area that might have medicinal benefits and other natural remedies. Many times a successful medic is going to actually have the medicinal herb garden in their backyard, and that, I think, makes or a lot of sense. Or even growing wild. That's right. Exactly. Maybe you planted some things, but maybe some of these things are just natural around you. That's true. Or you Lucky grow dogs. Gorilla. <laughs> you may do a little gorilla gardening here and there and That's spread, true. spread some herbal seeds or around. Those are not invasive. Not, not, <laughs> not, not a bad idea. Yep. Not a bad idea. You want to have something available for emergencies. That's the bottom line. Right. So we talked about... Some of the characteristics of the effective medic last week, uh, but I think the most important, and we didn't talk that we didn't talk about, mm -hmm. just having some common sense. You know, if you are just a sensible person with good supplies, a few medical books, the willingness to learn, you can really be successful in keeping your family healthy in ninety percent of situations. You know, now besides a sensible nature, I think it helps if you are a calm. Mellow person, <laughs> a mellow person. Someone with That's zen. Right. That's right, a little Rela zen there. Relaxation. Absolutely. Someone who doesn't get too crazy and excited. That is so important. You know, it's funny. I actually get crazy and excited over some things, but usually it's because you've poked me or I get you said, there. said something. Oh, that's <laughs> to a spice, annoy of, me. spice of life, baby. Yes. That's However, right. and you get excited about some things too. I do. However, I will say that in medical emergencies you and i are calm as cucumbers and that is so literally important. we have come upon horrible accidents with bones sticking out and blood gushing mm -hmm. and we both stayed perfectly calm that's absolutely right you know that sick or injured people they take comfort from a level-headed caregiver exactly calm voice reassuring keeping them from freaking out. Uh, I remember this one patient, this young girl, her femur was broken and the bone was sticking straight out at the top of her leg. Yes. And I think her left leg was, what, about two inches shorter yes. than it was supposed to be? Exactly. Right. And you and I just spoke to her in calm tones. She said, I can't feel my leg. And I said, everything's fine. You're going to be taken care of. Don't you worry about a thing. And we just kept her calm. We did not alarm her. Now, if someone else would have come up to her who wasn't aware that you needed to keep the patient calm, they could have started screaming, Oh, my God, your leg, it's shorted. Oh, there's blood. Can you imagine? Right. Someone who didn't know what they were looking at could be freaking out in front of her and could have would made the situation much, much so worse. much worse. Oh, yeah. Right. 
Absolutely right. So that calm demeanor is very important. And so I think that that's important. I think also another important thing uh-huh. is the dedication to teach others. Uh, one person obviously can't be everywhere at once, and you're likely going to find other people in your group eager to learn, eager, eager to receive some cross-training that is extremely important. One day, the medic may need a medic. So that's something else that's important. Also, another thing is confidentiality. That could be a very important asset if, if you're going to ensure success as a medical resource. You should always interview your group members now so you'll know that you have all the information you need to keep them healthy in times of trouble. Sometimes that information includes things that maybe your patient doesn't want to be made public you may not want to disclose anything that would make others see you as untrustworthy if you don't have the trust of the community you serve honestly you lose effective as a medic and there's one definitely very important essential characteristic of the successful medic that is self-preservation this may sound strange to you but you know what you are an indispensable resource to your entire group. If you frequently place yourself in harm's way, you are eventually going to find yourself as a patient more often than you or anyone else is going to like. Always determined that you can care for the patient without placing yourself in undue dangerous straits. You've got to abolish all threats. Somebody has a gunshot wound, stands to reason, there's a guy with a gun out there. So don't become the next casualty. I might suggest for those files is to get them locked up. You know, if you're going to take information from friends and family, community members, make sure that that is locked up and put away and you keep your mouth shut. I know that sounds harsh, but don't be telling people others, other people's business, especially if they actually entrust you with their medical history. If you gain that trust, do not mess it up. I You're, think that makes a lot no of sense. It's no one yes. else's business right? about it's, anything. Even someone's weight could be damaging to somebody's, you know, self-esteem. feelings of trust. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. I mean, it might seem silly to you, but it might be hurtful to other people. Even, you know, oh, he, he broke his leg when he was 12. Well, that was no one's business. You Just don't tell anyone anything that you find out about other people. If they write it down on a piece of paper or they tell you and you write it down, that piece of paper needs to get locked away. So not even your spouse, your best friend, any relative whatsoever ever, ever read that until there's a situation where that patient has to be taken care of and there's no hospital. Now you need their history. It's the only circumstance that that is to ever be taken out. That's right. Well, other things that are important to know... If you're going to be Mm -hmm. the medic is, of course, you have to take into account the scenario that you're preparing for. Is there something? It's important, obviously, to accumulate medical supplies and knowledge that will work in any situation. But what are you actually expecting to happen? I mean, do you live by the river? You're concerned about a flood or do you live? On, do you live on top of the caldera of Ye- at Yellowstone? I mean, I think we're just <laughs> south of concerned? that right here, aren't we? Well, right, like right yeah, now, <laughs> we're pretty close to it. You know, a little <laughs> west of it. But the the truth of the matter is, is that you know your preparations have to be modified a little bit to fit the particular situation that you believe is going to cause modern medical medical care to 
to be unavailable. Right. There are lots of possible scenarios that could leave you without access to medical help, and each one of them may require a little tweaking here and there, a little specialized planning. And you, you have to be ready to deal with the most likely things that are going to occur because that'll tell you what are the most likely illnesses or injuries that and if you can do that, that will increase your effectiveness as a medic exponentially. I guarantee. Now, let's say you're concerned about an economic collapse. Mm-hmm. You think you're on the ver- we're on the verge of an economic collapse. We've certainly heard a lot of bad economic news here and there. You probably believe that things are going to break down. Let's say the reliable transport. Okay, we're not saying the sky is falling. We are not predicting this. I just want to be no. clear about it. If you feel that your research has brought you to that conclusion, that is what we're talking about. Yes, that's right. Well, if the, and if you feel that's the case, you probably believe that things like the reliable transport of food from farms to the public will be probably impaired yes, in some of way. You know, nobody's paying the truckers, for example. So in that case, you may have issues with malnutrition. If you're you haven't fulfilled your responsibility to make sure that you have a lot of food storage for your group, and that that includes anything and everything required to give good nutrition for your people, well, you know, then you are not going to be fully prepared if you don't have that stuff. You want to stockpile maybe vitamin supplements, either commercial or natural uh, supplements. might be a good strategy in this kind of situation, even if it, you don't take vitamins daily. Well, still having some may be helpful in preventing diseases that cause deficiencies. I have a case of vitamins, by the way, that we put away, oh, so many years ago. I think probably in 2008, maybe, was when I got a new case of vitamins. I need to look at those. I may, I'm going to have to probably (laughs) replace those vitamins. Not that they're bad. I bet they're just fine. But I want to make sure I have them fresh because, you know, what if we don't use them for like another 10 years? Yes, that's it. It's always important. I'd like to have them fresh. So you guys, make sure that you do rotate things out. When we tell you to store things, don't just put it up in your closet. It's like the medical kits. Don't just stick it in your closet and then never look at it again. Practice with stuff, but look at your expiration dates. Um, You can get away with long expiration dates past the actual date, Um, but if you have the ability to rotate and use up things now and keep everything as fresh as possible so when you do have to get into a dire situation, everything is is still fresh. (laughs) It's not already 10 years possibly past expiration date. You don't want to put yourself in too bad of a situation. Now, some so we're going to get a new case of vitamins, my love. There you go. And you reminded me. Now, in some cases of disasters, they're probably caused by maybe civil unrest. That's certainly a possibility. Mm-hmm. And so civil unrest, I think, is part and parcel of a lot of different disasters, both natural or man-made. Of mm-hmm. course, man-made disasters, you uh, some of the protests that we've had uh, politically, we've seen a lot of disaster uh, injuries uh, related to that. And, of course, natural disasters, floods, and other kinds of things. Oh, so many of those. Oh, absolutely. And and so in those cases, you should tailor your supplies and your training to help you deal with maybe possible traumatic injuries. Now, this is something that can happen at any time. You can come across, gosh, a car accident. You mm-hmm. can be involved in in a flood you can 
wind up in the midst of some kind of riot. And so it makes sense for you to always stock up on uh, things that help you deal with trauma, bandages, antiseptics, simple things like that, but maybe other, maybe more specialized equipment, uh, maybe those flexible splints that are made by Sam uh, Scheinberg, uh, S-A-M, Structural Malleable Splints, uh, maybe blood clotting agents, something like Quick Clot or Celox or Kytosan, you know, would be pretty good to have in some quantity, I think, in, in that kind of circumstance, if you're going to be dealing with situations where people may be at risk for injury. Then, of course, there are situations in which you're at risk for infection. Mm-hmm. Of course, from the all the way from the Black Plague to Ebola, gosh, many people are concerned about widespread outbreaks of infectious disease. Some right. of them could reach gosh, epidemic status, those things can happen. Every year we get uh, You just never influenza. know. You never know what's coming through or how it's going to change and suddenly be available to be transmitted, you know, if you're 10 feet away, you're going to catch this. I mean, we just don't know from Absolutely. year to year what's coming down the pipeline. Right. We talk about influenza a lot as one of the major... Yeah, issues. It comes pretty much every year, but it comes suddenly. You don't know exactly when it's happening. You don't know exactly which version of the flu is going to be coming around. Hopefully, you hope that it's going to be something similar to the previous year, so we already have a little maybe immunity to it. But sometimes it's entirely different. In 1918, an entirely new brand of flu came through, and it caused 50 to 100 million deaths throughout the world that became a a worldwide pandemic and there's nothing that says that something like that can't happen again or some other mutation. I don't say it. I'm sure it's going to happen someday. Right. Hopefully not soon, but I absolutely think that's going to happen. Right. Even bacterial diseases, although we have antibiotics, you know, the Black Death during the Middle Ages wiped out a third of the population of Europe. Unbelievable. Incredible quantities of casualties so it just you know what that just didn't it didn't happen as fast as it would happen today yes. because of our travel because yes, of the exactly. ability for us to get from one side of the earth to the other in hours oh yeah we we could how we can travel now spread this in in days right versus within months a week you could have a worldwide years. pandemic you absolutely Absolutely very possible. It depends. For example, if something like Ebola ever became airborne, Mm -hmm. then we would have a worldwide pandemic with a 50% death rate. And that is something that... In a very short period of time. I don't even want to think about it. The problem is it would be a very short period of time. Right. Because people travel so much, so frequently. And that's why it's so important to have these materials... Uh, if you're worried about a super flu descending on your area, stock up on masks, stock up on gloves, as well as and maybe antiviral drugs, maybe antibiotic drugs. It just depends on what kind of uh, critter is causing the disease. You know, figure out a, a strategy to quarantine, to keep your family isolated from sick individuals. Uh, sometimes from, could be from the rest of the community. That's called social distancing, and actually it's in the CDC. It sounds paranoid to you, maybe, 
But you know, CDC actually recommends social distancing. You know how we socially distance ourselves? How do we do that? We go to the movies on a Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Yes. <laughs> That's a great way to do it. 99% of the time, there's nobody else in the yes, movie theater. or another couple, and of course, they're coughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yes, we did. We went to that a movie. That did actually happen, didn't When it? did we go? It was a Thursday. Yeah. It was an odd time. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. But somebody decided to bring... What was that child? About three? Yeah. Three years old with a pillow and a blanket and absolutely at the height of of illness. The cough was so wet and so loud and so nasty. And I'm sure the kid had a fever because they had to bring a blanket. I mean, who takes their kid to a movie theater when they're ill like that? You can't wait a week? You know what that is? That's selfishness. Keep well, your kid at home if they're that sick. Or you stay at home if you're that sick. Or, I would never do that. Or wear masks. Oh, my gosh. That's what they do in Asia. I mean, that's their sense of social responsibility is to wear masks and that, that kind of thing. That child should not have left the house. The kid was very, very sick. That's it was terrible for those parents to remove the child from the house. Just to go see an afternoon movie, Well, you not gotta, worth it. you got to figure out a quarantine strategy. In bed, sleeping, and resting. That's right. Well, you've got to also plan out, of course, how to put together a sick room. That'll help the people that are ill in the family recover while limiting exposure of the healthy people in the group to an infection. Of course, then there's also things like nuclear meltdowns. How about a nuclear reactor meltdown? Of course, to take this to extremes, maybe you live near an army base, maybe a large city, a nuclear plant, and you're concerned about a terrorist group setting off some kind of nuclear bomb. Gosh, in that scenario, you're going to have to know how to protect yourself and your family from things like radiation, how Mm -hmm. to build an effective shelter. We talked about, uh, well, it's probably been at least a year or two. Get out of Dodge. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the situations where you seriously need to leave. That is absolutely right. Sometimes you can hunker down. Like if we're talking pandemics, we're hunkering down. Right. Putting, I'm putting police tape around my house because <laughs> yeah. I already bought it. Caution, <laughs> hazard. You do have a danger. Role. I do. I, you do have a role I absolutely, police. absolutely do. That's no joke. That's going to go all over my trees and the cars. And believe right. me, people are going to want to come within 200 feet of my house. There <laughs> you gonna, go. It's going to look very scary. <laughs> we already have our garage lights. This is yeah. funny. I just have to tell this real quick. We have four lights above our garage doors and you know we got them from what costco 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 and they're supposed to come on when the sun goes down very economic and then when the sun comes up in the morning it senses the sun's up and they turn off they work fine in the beginning but now we have two of them that are strobing (laughs) and it looks like a halloween house in front of our garage because they're (laughs) flashing white lights and you know we thought about getting them fixed and i and i'm thinking to myself you know what that probably scares everybody who walks or drives by my house that we're some crazy people and they need to just stay away because <laughs> those people have ghost house like strobe lights over their garage i have no intention of changing it at all ever <laughs> <laughs> well i do it looks 
crazy. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I really don't All care. Right, well, we got to do something about it. Nope. All right. Well. <laughs> anyway, the point is, if you're going to try to keep people away from your house, you're not going to want your house to look like a pleasing place to go visit. Now, one other thing that's important is figuring out how many people you're going to be responsible for. Of course, your store of medical supplies, whatever you have, should cover the number of people that you're going to be in charge of, right? If you're going to be the person that's going to be medically in charge of your family, then you need to have the right amount of medical supplies Absolutely. and medicines and things like that. Right amount plus. You know, because you never know how many people right. are coming. <laughs> that's exactly you're exactly right. Plus, plus, yes. plus. I mean, if you've stockpiled a half a dozen treatment courses of antibiotics, it might be good for a couple or maybe a sole individual. Mm -hmm. But over the course of time, it probably go pretty darn fast if you're taking care of 20 people or so. And the truth of the matter is, is that most of these people are going to be outperforming all sorts of tasks that they're not used to doing. Things that we are not used to doing. Right. right? They're going to be making campfires. Oh, they're going to be gardening. Can you imagine wood. all the gardening right. accidents? Right. Exactly. Lifting heavy loads. And so you're going to see all sorts of industry. In, injuries, I'm sorry. Right. Like uh, sprains and strains, you're going to see fractures. Fire, you're trying to make fires to right. cook food. Burns, burns, lacerations, all sorts of stuff. So you need the supplies that are going to deal with them. And the truth of the matter is, is that can you ever really have enough medical supplies? You know they're going to get used up faster than you think. And then once that happens, then you're going to have to improvise the best you can. But... It's probably better to have the real thing in enough quantity that you can deal with the number of people you're going to take care of. Now, you may think you're all you're just going to take care of yourself, your wife or, or husband and, and little baby and the parakeet, perhaps. But the truth of the matter is you are going to be handling the health care for a lot more people than that. There are going to be a lot of people showing up at your door. Some of these people may have skills that you need. Right. Some of these people That's may true. have supplies that you need that mm -hmm. are not medical supplies. You have the medical supplies and hopefully the knowledge. And the, You have to remember that those supplies will be used up, but you have to be able to be willing to give medical help to the people that show up. Now, you have to decide who you're going to take care of, and everybody's a little different as to how they make those decisions, but the truth is the biggest mistake you can make is to underestimate it's the true. number of people that are going to appear on your doorstep you know what? in times of trouble. A good suggestion for, you know, because obviously there's only a certain amount of commercial gauze that you can stock up on unless you have a giant warehouse. <laughs> yeah. my hand, like, my, like you. my hands in the air. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, eventually it will go. But you can get white cotton sheets. Yes. And that is what has been used before they had all this commercially produced sterile gauze and non-sterile gauze. Is it exactly the same? No. But will it do in a pinch? Absolutely. And it is reusable. That's of course, you're exactly going right. to have to, you know, soak it in. A bleach solution, but white cotton can take some abuse. Absolutely, and you're gonna you can use that as bandages, packing, and you know covers on outside. It can be used to hold on splint material, um, slings. I mean, so so many things. Right. So exactly. white cotton sheets, flat ones. I right. mean, if you have the fitted sheets, what can you do? You Even, just cut them up. But the 
the flat white cotton sheets. You cannot go wrong with having, you know, a few of those. And right. imagine all the strips you can cut those into. Exactly. And you can make burn dressings, you just including some petroleum jelly Think and about just it. you know, sort of mix up some petroleum jelly and some some of strips of bandage might be worthwhile for, you'll never for burns, get, for I example. Don't think you'll ever get them completely sterile. However, no, if you have that, a pressure cooker, after you soak them in a bleach, you know, wash them with soap and water, mm-hmm. soak them in a bleach solution, um, you're going to have to rinse them, but then I would maybe use a pressure cooker. Well, that I think would that's be... going to be, you know, as close to sterile as possible. Well, I think that that would be great, and it's just the only thing is that really we're, we really can't expect a sterile, a truly no, sterile you're environment. you're never going to get 100%. You know, even when you take be... it out of the pressure cooker, because mm-hmm. there are pressure cookers that can be used over um, gas or fire, uh-huh. you know, if you get it hot enough. So, you know, you can do it without electricity, but the second you remove it from its environment, it's now technically not completely sterile. You're just trying to get as close as possible. You don't want to introduce bacteria into an already open wound. You that's don't want right. to make the situation worse than it is already. And that's why we want to... Do no to, harm. Right. And that's why it's a good idea to use maybe sterile saline solution on those open wounds. Remember, the, the formula for that is pretty simple. You want a, a pot with a lid... And you want, of course, some water. <laughs> you want to start with water, and you want to put a couple of, maybe a liter of water, and add two teaspoons of salt to it. Right. And you make put bring that to a boil with the uh, in a lid. pot with the lid, lid on, and let it cool off with the lid on, and then pour that into some sterile jars. If you have a pressure cooker to begin with, you already have some sterile canning jars probably yep. and so cover that with uh, a sterile lid and there you have Mark the some sterile right exactly. either use it right away yep. or once it cools off mm-hmm. and, or you know if you're going to store it you know you could probably be good for a good month or so good. you know if you keep it sealed and, and shortly thereafter we also have i believe on the website oh, i have a video too two videos on making Dakin's solution. Yes, that's which right. Is great for uh, irrigating wounds. Right, Dakin's solution is uh, essentially just a sort of a bleach and very, bleach very and baking mild soda. Bleach and baking soda solution. That's right. Very mild. Right. There, are, there are different. <laughs> dilute, highly there diluted. are different strengths, but you should use some of the most dilute, the most dilute that you possibly can. I don't have the the formula there. Well, Each I one have, of them. Or do you have it? No, not oh, okay. in my head. Oh, okay. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying there, there are like eight different ways there to do it. There are certain <laughs> things that I have memorized that is not a brain cell that I have taken up. There you go. With, with that information. <laughs> but yes, we do have videos and you do have an article that can be printed out. And do, do you have the Dakin solution in the book? Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. It's in print also. Yes, that's right. It's in our new book also, especially in our new book. I have that in good, in pretty good detail um, in Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Excellent. Disease, our new book. Perfect. Now, I, I usually talk about avalanches this time of the year. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, we that was one of our topics. But in South America, of course... It's not winter, it's summer, and it's mudslides that are making the news. Oh, that was horrible. Now, wait a minute. There's been 
an avalanche of mud and rocks crashed into a hotel during a wedding celebration in Peru. This is not the one you know about. That killed about 15 people. And but and this is in the wake of the catastrophe you were talking about just recently, uh, a dam collapse in Brazil that caused yes. a mudslide near a mine. That's right. And so far, it's confirmed 58 people dead, with oh, no. many more that are still missing. Oh no! Probably going to be at least twice as many. That's horrible. And, and, and amazingly, <sighs> the flow of waste because it was an entire dam that collapsed. Uh, I've reached nearby communities and buried a lot of buildings oh. to their rooftops. Still a lot of people that are missing. And uh, there are extensive fields of mud that are cutting off roads and, you know, not helping the Brazilian rescue crews. Although they have returned to the their work uh -huh. on just today, as a matter of fact. And they wanted to uh, do their best to resume the search for the hundreds of people that are missing. Oh, my gosh. And... I have to say one thing about mudslides. If I had to choose between being covered in mudslide or being covered in an avalanche, I would pick an avalanche any day. Because when the pocket of snow comes over you, it's possible to move your arms over your head and have a, maybe a little air pocket. Yes. That is not happening with mud. That's that gonna mud be is going to seep into every crevice, your nose, your mouth everything there there is no way you can make a pocket of air i mean you would have to be in some physical container like a car that's closed or i don't even know what a refrigerator i'm not even sure what would prevent mud from coming in because it's just it just seeps into everything i'm not sure how you would even survive in a building i mean think even a closet that's eventually going to fill it up you're absolutely right. It's going right. to creep into every area until it's completely filled up. Well, what happens is so is that this, it, it's essentially oh, so sorry. essentially a river of wet concrete oh. is essentially what you've got there, and uh, it's it's pretty terrible. According to this particular uh, dam collapse, uh, it's a Brazilian mining company known as Vale, and they actually have dealt with mudslides caused by some dams falling apart by this Brazilian mining company. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, an estimated 24,000 people were told to get the higher ground. And it's not just the people that have lost their homes uh, temporarily or maybe permanently, but also the fears of all this environmental contamination and degradation. According to the mining company Valet's website, the waste is supposed to be mostly sand and non-toxic. However, a UN report reported that the waste from a similar disaster caused by these people in 2015 contained the high levels of toxic heavy metals. Well, with all this grim news, it surprises me that I don't write more about mudslides since, since I myself and Amy could easily be a victim of one ourselves. I mean, we're part-time residents of Tennessee, as many of you, of you know, with a home on a mountain overlooking the town in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And as such, we live on a slope. And how, how much of a slope? Well, I don't know. I don't know if you want to actually know how much of a slope we have. Let's just say you wouldn't want to fall off our deck. Now, mudslides can be huge. In some cases, the debris piles up 30 feet thick. So it's just terrible. But what is a mudslide? It's not a flood. It's not an avalanche. A mudslide is sometimes called a debris flow. It's a landslide. 
with a high water content. Now, mudslides act like a river that, if the mud's thick enough, has a consistency, as I mentioned, of wet concrete to get mud, rocks, trees, other large objects carried along and, all, and cause all sorts of damage to homes and, and life, a huge amount of traumatic injury to residents just buries them 100%. Many of them suffocate as a result. In the U.S., there's only about 25 to 50 deaths that occur as a result of landslides. That's, that's plenty. But uh, throughout the world, they're very, very common, actually, uh, events that can occur as a result of heavy rainfall or melting snow that saturate the ground and cause instability in sloping areas. There are like a number of areas air that are prone to earthquakes, and hurricanes, wildfires, other natural disasters that are especially susceptible to also having mudslides. Now, humans contribute to this susceptibility by planning poorly. They cut roads into hills and mountains and scenic mountain retreats like ours. Well, they indeed, we have to admit, make, make mudslides more likely. If you live by a river or a brookside at the base uh, or, or have you retreat at the base of a hill or a mountain in the holler, as we say in Tennessee, well, they're also vulnerable. And of course, homes are vulnerable even if they're not on slopes. It's just as bad in the holler, as they say. So before building that dream home, you should consider keeping an eye on steep slopes, natural or man-made runoff conduits, eroded areas that are in an area that you maybe consider building. You might consider having the county geological survey specialist assess your property for mudslide risk. That might be a good idea. You want to consider maybe having flexible pipe fittings. You have this; These have to be installed by pros, of course, but that will make your fittings less prone to gas or water leaks. Consider building a retaining wall to hold off certain mudslide mud, mud channels. You want to avoid areas that have experienced mudslides in the past, so sort of get an idea of the history of the area. Now, of course, you always want to have an evacuation route and a weather radio. That's so important. And on top of that, guess what? I suggest you have a medical kit with items to deal with both traumatic injury and water sterilization. Now, there are some warning signs. Mudslide-prone areas, they're going to begin to show uh, a number of things that will develop, uh, like cracks in the walls and flooring, paving, driveways, foundations that sort of tip you off that yeah, you're a little bit at risk there. Uh, there are outside structures, that you, like stairs that may be outside that begin to separate from buildings or, or begin to have a weird camp to them, a weird a tilt to them. Uh, doors and windows start becoming jammed. Utility lines break. Fences, trees, utility poles start tilting. Uh, you may start noticing water accumulating in weird places. And, of course, roads and embankments along slopes start breaking off at the edges. I'll bet you if you've ever lived in an area where there have been hills and you've had to drive on these sort of winding mountain roads, you notice that, especially after rainy weather, that slopes start breaking off at the edges. And of course, in some cases, you actually wind up noticing that the terrain starts to slant more. And sure enough, that is pretty darn scary. 
Now, of course, if you're in the midst of a land a mudslide, you want to turn on the NOAA radio, listen to warnings as they're reported, warn your neighbors that there are some risks occurring, and if a mudslide seems to be imminent, for goodness sake, get the heck out of there, if at all possible, and just understand that roads may be washed out. You want to stay away from mudslide areas because there may be more mudslides on the way. If you stay home, get to the second story and watch for and avoid down power lines. Now, the slide, as it passes through, well, you know what? You need to have something sturdy that's going to provide some kind of support against the mud. So you want to get under a table, maybe curl into a ball, protect your head, try to make it so that you have some kind of air pocket around you. It's harder than in uh, avalanche, certainly, but it can be done, especially if you have the support of, let's say, a table or something sturdy. That's important. Uh, of course, if you can get air, you can survive even without water for three or four days if you had to. And you just have to remember, it's so important to be prepared in every way for the slings and arrows that the uncertain for future may hold for you and your fam family. You just have to be prepared. That's all the time we have for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton. See you next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. To contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.
Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did.